All right, let's go to Lord in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for um, the opportunity to gather around your word, to be ministered to by your word. Uh, We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would use your word to shape us, mold us, um, encourage us, correct us, challenge us where we need to be challenged, uh, lift us up. Uh, We want our faith strengthened in Christ. Um, Father, I pray for us as a people that we would overflow with love, that we would overflow with hope, that we would overflow with faith. Um, we ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would come and minister to each one of us according uh, to our need. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Genesis chapter 22, it's a story of the, the sacrifice of uh, Isaac, um, the son of Abraham. So let, we're just going to jump right in. Uh, look at verses 1 and 2 there, if you will. Um, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Take your son, he said, your only son Isaac, whom you love, go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. So, first of all, we encounter here in Genesis chapter 22, the test. The test. And we're told at the outset that this is a test. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he answered. Um, so we're told at the beginning that it's a, it's a test. Um, the chapter simply could have begun after these things God said Abraham without informing us that it is, it is, it is a test. And then we would have continued reading and thought, what? What is this all about? But no, at the outset, we're told that it's a test. This is very similar to the case with the book of Job. Um, the first two chapters of Job, we're told at the outset what happens. We're told about the context and the conversations that happen in the throne room of heaven before Job goes through all the tests that he goes through. Now, Job didn't know it was a test. Job didn't know the context. But we as the readers do, and that's the same situation here with Abraham. We know at the outset it's a test, even though Abraham doesn't. And we see that Abraham responds, here I am. Here I am. In this account, Abraham will actually say this three different times. Here I am. Here I am indicates focused attention. Um, When someone says, here I am to a superior in in this Hebrew, uh, in the Hebrew, when they say, here I am to a superior, it's more like something like at your service. As I'm ready to obey, I'm ready. I'm ready for your instruction. I'm, I'm paying attention. So when Abraham says here, here I am to the Lord, he means something like at your service. One commentator translates this phrase, ready. I'm ready, Lord. What is it? I'm focused on what you want me to do. This past week we had the five-day club. And um, on one occasion I was downstairs and they had been up in room 202 and then the kids all went downstairs to the bathrooms and they were washing their hands. And Ginny was standing standing at the uh, entrance to the fellowship hall. And as each kid came out of the bathroom, she put her arm in front of them and says, now I want you to listen to me. You're going to go sit down at the table, and there are cupcakes on those tables. Don't touch anything, not even the cupcakes, until someone gives you instructions. And then that kid would go on, and she'd put her arm out for the next kid. Now, and she'd go through the whole thing again. She wanted, their, she wanted their focused attention on the instructions that she was going to uh, give to them. And here we have Abraham, who is focused on the Lord. Abraham, Abraham, God calls, and, and Abraham says, here I am. I'm ready. What, what is it, Lord, uh, that you want to tell me? And boy, does the Lord have instructions for him. 
Uh, what, a, what a punch in the gut this test is. Um, he's to sacrifice his uh, beloved son, offer him as a burnt offering. A burnt offering, a burnt offering is just that. It's an offering that you place on an altar, you light it on fire, and it burns up completely to the Lord. There's, there's no salvaging any part of it. It was holy and completely burned up, and, and God calls upon Abraham to sacrifice his son Isaac. And notice, notice the wording in verse 2. Take your son, he said, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. I mean, belaboring the point of how beloved this particular son is. Uh, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love. Think about where we're at in the story of Abraham in Genesis chapter 2. We're towards the end of the story of Abraham in Genesis 22. Sarah, Sarah, his wife, had been barren. For 90 years, no child for 90 years, Abraham and Sarah had had no child. And God had promised Abraham many years earlier that he would have a multitude of descendants, that Abraham would have a multitude of descendants. But as time progressed, no child. And, and Sarah was past her childbearing years. Then they, So Abraham and Sarah contrived to have a child through a concubine, Hagar. But God assured them that Sarah herself would bear a child and God had reiterated more than once his promise to Abraham of numerous descendants. So finally, when Sarah was 90 and Abraham himself is 100 years old, Sarah passed the age of bearing children, yet God miraculously intervenes and she bears a son and his name is Isaac. Here was the promised son. Here was the link to all the promises that God had made to Abraham. And now God says, take Isaac and offer him as a burnt offering to me. To me. Compare this, if you will, with the first time that God appeared, appeared to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12. The first time that God uh, appears to Abraham, he said to him, The Lord said to Abraham, Go out from your land, your relatives, and your father's house. Notice that triad. We notice that with the son, your son, uh, your son whom you love, Isaac, your beloved son. And here we have, Go out from your land, your relatives, your father's house, to the land that I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I will curse those who treat you with contempt, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. There's a lot of parallels between this command and the command that God issues at the end of, towards the end of the Abraham story that we just read in in Genesis chapter 2. But what I want to highlight is that the first command here in Genesis 12 is for Abraham to sacrifice his homeland with the promise, but there's a promise with it, the promise of a great destiny. But here in chapter two, 22, the chapter that we're looking at, what is asked for is the sacrifice of his son. And there is nothing that is promised in return. Think about what God is asking Abraham to sacrifice. His son. It's hard to get past that. He's asking him to sacrifice his son. He's asking him to sacrifice everything that God has promised him. What about all those promises that God had made that were all linked into the birth of this son, Isaac? He's asking him to sacrifice his future. In Genesis 12, on the screen, Abraham is asked to sacrifice his homeland in return for a bright future and a great destiny. In Genesis 22, Abraham is asked to sacrifice his son, which is the key to the future. In Genesis 12, he's asked to leave his father's house and forsake his past. In Genesis 22, he's asked to 
offer up his son and forsake his future. The sacrifice in Genesis 12 is great, but the sacrifice here in chapter 22 is far greater. So then we come to verses 3 through 10, how Abraham responds to the test. How does Abraham respond to this test? Let's just look at verses 3 through 6. So Abraham got up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took with him two of his young men and his son Isaac. He split wood for a burnt offering and set out to go to the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. Then Abraham said, Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship, then we'll come back to you. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and laid it on his son Isaac. In his hand, he took the fire and the sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked on together. Notice Abraham's prompt obedience early in the morning. Early in the morning. No hesitation, no discussion, no debate. The Lord said, go, and he went. And then we read uh, in uh, verse 4, on the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. So they're walking for over two days into the third day. This mountain was distant from where Abraham lived. It wasn't nearby. And what's significant about this is that that's a lot of time to think. That's a lot of time to mull things over. That's a lot of time to think about what's about to be done and what the ramifications will be and what kind of pain and suffering that's going to inflict upon himself and upon Sarah. It's a lot of time to think about the possibility of not going through with this. It's a lot of Time to think about maybe how to rationalize not going through with this. A lot of time to experience the agony of anticipating the loss that is soon to come. Three days offer a lot of time, a lot of opportunity to waver. And then in verse 5, Abraham makes this curious statement. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. The boy and I will go over there to worship then we'll come back to you. Notice that pronoun, we'll. We'll come back to you. What does Abraham mean, we'll come back to you? He knows what he's going over there to do. He's know, he knows he's going over there to sacrifice his son to the Lord. What does he mean, we will come back to you? Well, some think, think that uh, Abraham is simply lying here because it's, it's a lot harder to say, I'm going over there to slay my son. But there's this passage In Hebrews chapter 11, it says, By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He who had embraced the promises was about to sacrifice his one and only son, even though God had said to him, It is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. And then here's the key phrase in verse 19. Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead. And so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. According to Hebrews 11, Abraham's faith here is strong. We surmise, we surmise, we put ourselves in Abraham's shoes. We surmise that all along the way here, Abraham could have had doubts or could have struggled with this. But there is, there's no indication of that in Genesis 22. We are not told about his thinking. We're not told about his thoughts. All we're told about are the few things that he said and the things that he actually did. And what we're told about, um, and what, what those things reveal, what he said and what he did, 
um, reveals a mind and a will and a heart that seems to be set on obeying the word of the Lord to him. Well, then look at verse 7 in chapter 22. It said, Then Isaac spoke to his father Abraham and said, My father, and he replied, Here I am, my son. Isaac said, The fire and the wood are here, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Isaac raises a really good point. We're going to worship. We're walking toward this mountain to worship. That involves sacrifice. And we have everything for the sacrifice except for the actual animal that we're going to sacrifice. And Father, you are rich in animals. Why didn't we bring an animal along? Did you forget to pack the lamb type of thing? Well, look at Abraham's response in verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them walked on together. Notice that phrase, the two of them walked on together. End of verse 6. In his hand, he took the fire and the sacrificial knife, and the two of them walked on together. Verse 8. God will provide. Then the two of them walked on together. They have this exchange about the lamb for the burnt offering, and we have this phrase, the two of them walked on together. The author here, Moses, is building the suspense by delaying the conclusion of the test. We feel the tension building, emotionally stepping into Abraham's shoes a bit as he approaches the critical moment. He's ready to do the will of the Lord, but how painful it must be. And then at last they arrive, verse 9, when they arrived at the place that God had told him about, Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood. He bound his son Isaac and placed him on the altar on top of the wood. So Abraham, they get there. Abraham first builds the altar. Then he takes the wood that Isaac has brought. He arranges it on the altar. And then he binds Isaac and he places him on the altar. Presumably, Isaac was willing obedient and trusting as well as fully aware of what was to happen a lamb without blemish or defect verse 10 then abraham reached out and took the knife to slaughter his son so how does abraham respond to this test well he doesn't know it's a test but how does he respond to the word of the lord that is given to him to the specific direct command of the lord he responds with full obedience With full obedience, he's a couple of seconds from the completion of the sacrifice of his son. Well, then we come to the third part of this story, the conclusion and the aftermath of the test. The conclusion and the aftermath of the test. So verse verse 10, he's reached out, he's taken the knife to slaughter his son. Verse 11, but the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham, he replied, here I am. Then he said, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. So, first of all, the test is interrupted. The test is interrupted. He calls out twice, Abraham, Abraham. And then the angel reverses the lethal action. Abraham had reached out his knife and reached out his hand and taken the knife. And then the the angel of the Lord says to him, um, He says to him, there it is, do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. Do not lay a hand on the boy or do anything to him. Notice the divine protection there. Don't do anything at all to this boy. And then verse 12, uh, the end of verse 12. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your only son from me. Um, Whoops, can you back that? Never mind. (laughs) Let me just fill in the blank there. The uh, 
letter B is Abraham's faith has been demonstrated. Abraham's faith has been demonstrated. The Lord knew that Abraham feared the Lord, but now that has been confirmed in an extreme test of Abraham's faith. Um, And he has now experienced, God knew cognitively that Abraham feared the Lord, but now he has experienced in Abraham's demonstration of faith, of how great that faith is that Abraham has in him. Uh, James 2 talks about the completion of his faith through the, sacri- through the willingness to sacrifice Isaac. Wasn't Abraham our father justified by works when he offered Isaac his son on the altar? You see that faith was active together with his works, and by works his faith was perfected or his faith was completed. And then uh, we read in verses 13 to 14 that the sacrifice is nonetheless completed, but in a different manner. Verse 13, Abraham looked up and saw a ram caught in the thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it as a burnt offering in place of his son. And Abraham named that place the Lord will provide. So today it is said it will be provided on the Lord's mountain. The first thing Abraham doesn't do after the angel has interrupted the sacrifice is use that knife. But the first thing he does do is look up and he sees a ram caught in the thicket. Abraham told, uh, Abraham told Isaac that God would provide and God has provided in that ram that's caught in the thicket. So Abraham grabs the ram and he offers it up to God in place of his son Isaac. And then we see in letter D that the covenant is reiterated. The covenant is reiterated. Verses 15 to 18. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, this is the Lord's declaration, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son, I will indeed bless you and make your offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. Your offspring will possess the gates of their enemies. And all the nations of the earth will be blessed by your offspring because you have obeyed my command. The Lord has stated these promises before to Abraham, but now he ties it to Abraham's faith. Verse 16, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son. Verse 18, because you have obeyed my command. So he says, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your only son. Notice Notice that because Abraham didn't withhold his one son from God, God is now going to bless him with countless descendants. He didn't withhold the one, and now he's going to bless him with countless descendants, as numerous as the stars of the sky and the sand on the seashore. In verse 18, he's doing this because you have obeyed my command. Last month, we looked at the sin of Adam and Eve in the the Garden of Eden. And after Adam and Eve had sinned, the Lord came into the garden and he confronted Adam. And one of the things he said to him is, did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? But to Abraham, who obeyed him, God says, you have obeyed my command. There's a difference there. Abraham, Adam didn't obey the command of the Lord. Abraham did obey the command of the Lord. And the command to Abraham was a hard one. He had one son, and he was to sacrifice him. The command to Adam was a far easier one. He had many, many foods available to him, and he was to refrain from eating just one, and yet he couldn't keep that command. Adam, however, didn't, Adam didn't listen to the voice of the Lord. However, Abraham did listen to the voice of the Lord. 
And then in verse 19, the account concludes. Abraham went back to his young men, and they got up and went together to Beersheba, and Abraham settled in Beersheba. So that's the story of the test of Abraham. I want to draw out uh, three lessons. Um, no doubt many lessons could be drawn out. I just want to highlight three lessons from this um, account. First of all, lesson one, God expects you to give up anything he asks for. God expects you to give up anything he asks for. I'm not sure God could have asked Abraham for anything of greater value. Isaac was so long in coming. He was the key to all the promises and blessings of God. Plus, he was simply Abraham's son. I mean, he loved his son. And now he's finally here. And now some nine or 12 or four, we don't know how old Isaac was, 12 or 14 years into his life, God asked for him back. The Lord may ask you to give up something that is hard to give up. The Bible indicates that we should hold all things loosely. Jesus said, so therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Hold everything, hold everything loosely. In fact, a little bit earlier in chapter 14, Jesus spells out what some of these things are that are to be renounced. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Now, when Jesus says that, that really grates on our ears because we say from Scripture, aren't we to love those around us? Aren't we to love, you know, especially our family and so forth? And yes, of course, we are to love. So he's using Hebrew terminology or Hebrew way of speaking here when he says, when he says hate, he means you are to love me above these. You are to love me above these. Um, so if... If, for instance, someone you love requires or asks you to do something that is against what God says to do, then we are to love God more than the one who has asked us to do something wrong, and we are to obey the one who we are to obey God. But the, the, the message is clear. We're to hold loosely those things around us. We are to be exclusively devoted to God. Hold everything loosely. I read... I shared this with a Wednesday night group a, a few weeks ago. I read about a, a Christian in Iran um, who was arrested. There, Actually, three of them were arrested for attending a house church. Um, and they were promised a reduced sentence. This was back in uh, September, last September. They were promised a reduced sentence if they, if they didn't witness in prison, if they didn't tell their fellow prisoners about Jesus. Well, this particular woman believed, strongly believed that the Lord wanted her to witness in prison, wanted her, had placed her here to talk to all these other women about Christ. And as a result, she has been in solitary confinement several times over the course of the last year. Also, she has a young daughter at home. Here's what she says. Now I understand why God let me be brought here to this prison. My daughter has many people to care for here. My daughter has many people to care for her and teach her about the love of God. But in this prison, there are many young girls who have never even heard about God's love. They need me, and I need to be here for them. She's put the will of God above her family. She has sacrificed her freedom, or at least the possibility of soon release, to the Lord in order to obey his will. 
the Lord may ask you to give your child back to him so that they can serve him far away in another place far from here, perhaps as a missionary or as in, a, in some other career profession where they can be a lay minister to others. He may ask you to sacrifice a lucrative job or your financial security or your retirement or your quiet routine. He may ask you to give up your good name or your reputation, not because you do anything to tarnish it, but because he calls you to a cause that will paint a target on your back and will inevitably involve mudslinging at your name. He may ask you to give up your friends and your strongest support relationships. He may ask you to place on the altar your very specific dreams and plans. He may ask for hard things. He does ask for hard things. He asks you to give up your grudges against those who have wronged you. That's in Scripture. He asks you to give up your sins that you've long indulged in our second nature. He asks you to share what is yours with those in need. Whatever he asks for, he expects you to give. The second lesson is this. You can do what God asks of you. You can do what God asks of you. God asks of Abraham something that is seemingly very hard. But please see that Abraham does it all the way up to the point where the angel of the Lord stopped him. And he would have gone through with it. The angel of the Lord comments twice on how Abraham did not withhold his only son from him. What God calls you to do, he also gives you the grace to do it. Originally, Originally, I had worded this lesson, it is within your power to do what God asks of you. But that's not true. It's not within your power to do what God asks of you in and of yourself. By yourself, you can't do it. But the Lord gives you this grace and the strength to do whatever he asks you to do, even the hard stuff. You know, it's good for us to recognize our struggles and our temptations. But it is also good to recognize our strength in the Lord. It's good to recognize our power in the Lord. Ephesians 6.10, finally, stand firm in the Lord and in his mighty power. When God asks you to do something, when he asks you to give your best to him, when he asks you to sacrifice something to him, he's not testing your ability to do so. He's testing your faith, whether or not you trust him. He's testing your worship, whether you truly worship him or you have something else above him that you worship. You can do what God asks of you. The question is not can you do it, but rather will you do it? That's the question. And then the third lesson is this. God provides for those who yield to him. God provides for those who yield to him. When the angel stopped Abraham, now Abraham didn't have a sacrifice, right? Didn't have a sacrifice, but he looked up, and what do you know? There was a provision he could go on with the sacrifice. When Abraham did not withhold his son from God, the Lord renewed the covenant with Abraham. Why does God ask hard things of you? Because he likes to see you suffer? Because he's on a power trip? No, it's because he loves you. It's because he loves you. When he asks you to sacrifice something to him, it's for your good that he does so. I want to ask you, if you will, you don't need to mark Genesis 22. We're not coming back to it. But take your Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 10. Mark chapter 10, it's on page 930. Mark chapter 10, very familiar story, verses 17 to 22. Mark 10, 17 and 22. 
As Jesus was setting out on a journey, a man ran up, knelt down before him, and asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked him. No one is good but one, God. You know the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. He said to him, Teacher, I have kept all these things from my youth. And looking at him, Jesus loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go sell all you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. But he was stunned at this demand, and he went away grieving because he had many possessions. Now look at verse 21 there. Look at that word loved. Okay, he's just had this conversation, Jesus has, and Jesus looked at him, and he loved him. He looked at him, and he loved him. That's the only place in the Gospel of Mark where, where it said that Jesus loved someone. Now, it's true that he, he loved everyone, but what, what, the only place that's actually specified in the Gospel of Mark is right here, and it's with this rich young ruler. Jesus looked at him and loved him. And how is Jesus' love for this man expressed? By asking him to make a great sacrifice for him. By asking him to make a great sacrifice for Jesus. By asking him to give up that which was precious to him. Please note that what Jesus asked of him was motivated by his love for him. It's motivated by his love for him. Jesus knew what was best for this man, and it was to give away his wealth and then come follow Christ. And because Jesus loved him, he asked him to do it. After that man left, Peter points out that they had left a lot of things for Jesus. Look at verse 28. Peter began to tell him, look, we have left everything and followed you. And look at what Jesus says. I assure you, Jesus said, there is no one who has left house, house, brothers or sisters, mother or father, children or fields because of me and the gospel who will not receive a hundred times more now at this time. Houses, brothers and sisters, mothers and children and fields with persecutions and eternal life in the age to come. The things that you give up for Christ because he asks you to give it up, he will reward you for it. The God, God provides and provides abundantly and lavishly for those who yield to him and are willing to give up the things um, that he asks them to give up. God provides for those who yield to him. The Lord provided for Abraham. In story after story in the Bible, he provides for his people, lavishly and abundantly provides for his people. The goodness of God is manifest in the things he asks us to give up. And it is manifest in his provisions and blessings upon us, both in this life and in the life to come. And all of those blessings come through another son who was sacrificed. All those blessings come through another son who was sacrificed. God the Father took his son, his only son, Jesus, whom he loved, and he offered him as a perfect lamb. Isaac was carrying the wood that he was going to be sacrificed on. Just as Isaac approached Mount Moriah with the wood on his back, carrying the wood that he was going to be sacrificed on, so Jesus approached Mount Calvary with the wood on his back that he also was going to be sacrificed on. Even as an angel delivered Isaac from being slain, 12 legions of angels could have delivered Jesus. But there was no intervention. In fact, Jesus was our intervention. Abraham sacrificed a ram in place of his son, but God sacrificed his son in place of us. Romans 8, 
that's not it. That's it. What then are we to say about these things? If God is for us, who can who is against us? He did not even spare his own son. He spared Abraham's son, but he did not spare his own son, but offer him up for us all. How will he not also with him grant us everything? For I am persuaded that not even death or life, angels or rulers, things present or things to come, hostile powers, height or depth, or any other created thing will have the power to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, we... We marvel, we marvel at the faith of Abraham. We marvel even more at the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, for our sins. We marvel at the love and the mercy that is demonstrated. Uh, but God demonstrates his own love for, it, for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You could have left us alone in our sins. You could have left us alone in our wickedness, in our waywardness, in our rebellion, in our ignorance of you, in our neglect of you, in our following our own way. You could have left us alone and just faced judgment on our own, but you loved us and you gave us another chance through your son, Jesus Christ. And so you sent your son into the world to live that perfect life that we couldn't live so that he could be the perfect lamb, the perfect sacrifice, go to the cross and die on the cross, not for his sins, he had none, but for the sins of the whole world. And he could die for the sins of the whole world because he was the infinite son of God. And he came and suffered and died for us that we might die to sins, that we might live for righteousness, that we might no longer uh, be under the condemnation and guilt of our own sins, but be forgiven and be able to live in a new way. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy. Father, you have exemplified in Abraham that sometimes you will ask hard things of us and that it is for our good. We pray, Lord, that we would respond in faith. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.